Story three of Kafer Kangaroo Klondike Tales of the Gold Fields by Thaddeus William Henry Levitt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story three The Skeleton Mine A Tale of South Africa I was one of the first prospectors in the Transvaal to search for gold, and a precious dance it led me. At that time but few Englishmen had ventured into the Boer country, and such was the jealousy with which they were regarded that it was impossible to secure any information which would assist in the search. Footsore and weary, I tramped from farm to farm, content to obtain a supper of mealies and the toughest of tough South African mutton. There were rumors on every hand that gold existed, but to locate it was quite another matter. It has since transpired that in my wanderings I passed over some of the richest gold-bearing deposits in the world, but so unlike the gold-bearing fields of California and Australia is the Rand that the most experienced miner would never have dreamed of the richness of the claims. I was not searching for quartz, but the poor man's field, placer mines. To add to my perplexities, my money ran short, and I could only replenish my purse at Cape Town. I sank so low that I was compelled to sell my horse, and from that hour I was on a level with a kafir in the estimation of the Boers. The white man who approaches a farmhouse in the Transvaal on foot must be prepared for abject humiliation. Fortunately, I had acquired some knowledge of sheep in Australia, else I believe that I should have starved. When all else failed, I became a sheep doctor and vended a compound whose virtues would have done credit to the most widely advertised patent medicine nostrum. One long-to-be-remembered evening, I arrived at a boar's house situated twenty miles from any other habitation. When I asked for supper and a night's lodging, the door was slammed in my face, and in the worst of German I was ordered to be gone. Physically I was incapable of complying with the command, and mentally I had not the slightest intention of departing. In an outhouse, devoted to storing mealies, sheepskins, and harness, an old man was sitting on the doorstep compounding a mixture which I recognized as a sheep remedy. I approached him and gave him to understand that I was possessed of a remedy which would work wonders in such cases. He was all attention instantly, and the result was that in a few minutes an excellent meal was spread in the house to which I was invited. Then I proceeded to mix a number of simples which the man possessed, and finally I poured into the simmering mass with the greatest care and ostentation a few grains of boracic acid which I fortunately possessed. The following day I was the most surprised man in South Africa when I learned that my preparation was working a marvelous cure. I was invited to remain with the Boer the balance of the season as an honored guest. Day after day I tramped the hills, returning at night as wise and as rich as when I set out. There were unmistakable indications that gold should be found in the vicinity, but the stubborn fact remained that I could not find it. I had given up all hopes, and only remained to recruit my strength, previous to setting out on my long journey to the coast, when the following remarkable circumstances transpired. 
I slept in a great four-poster bed of proportions ample for a race of giants, and as I was deposited between two feather ticks in the old German fashion, the weather being the reverse of cold, my dreams were not the most pleasant, and my rest not untroubled. But for offending the good housewife I would have asked for a sheepskin on the floor. One sultry night, after a long day's walk, I found myself tossing and restless and unable to get even a forty-wink nap. For hours I thus lay lamenting my fate and regretting having abandoned the land of the Golden Fleece for the land of King Solomon's Mines. At a late hour I fell into a disturbed sleep. I awoke with a start and listened attentively. All was quiet in the house and yet I felt certain that someone was preparing to leave the place. How long this impression remained I am unable to say. I am by no means certain that I again fell asleep, and yet I am compelled by that which followed to acknowledge that it is probable that such was the fact. Whether dreaming or waking, I saw a venerable old man, dressed as a German peasant, walk quietly out of the front door, cast a suspicious glance around, as if to ascertain whether he had been observed, and then slip out into the darkness where he disappeared. So realistic was the scene that the following morning I inquired whether a friend of the family had paid them a visit after I had retired. The answer was no. Two nights later I saw precisely the same thing happen again, but as on the former occasion I could not decide whether I had been dreaming or not. The appearance of the venerable old man was indelibly stamped upon my brain. I saw distinctly that he was very old, that his beard was as white as a lamb's fleece, and that he was dressed in an antiquated garb, seen only in the most secluded parts of Germany, in which country I had spent several months attending a school in my boyhood days. The next night I determined to remain awake, but was not successful, and again I saw the old man depart. His constant reappearance had at last a powerful effect upon me. I decided that the next time, whether asleep or awake, I would follow him. With this resolve upon my mind, I retired the next night and soon fell into a heavy sleep, due no doubt to my former wakefulness. Once more I awoke, or imagined that I awoke, with the well-defined conviction that some person was preparing to leave the house. Cautiously I crept out of bed, and as the old man left by the front door, I slipped out by a side entrance. I remember distinctly saying to myself, This is certainly not a dream. There is the man walking slowly over the belt, and here I am watching and ready to follow where he may lead. Follow him I did. My strange guide never once looked behind him after he had left the house, but proceeded directly to the hills which ran along the north of the farm and were distant some two miles. He gradually quickened his pace, and finally I was compelled to run to keep him in sight. After he entered the hills he turned and doubled on his track in the most provoking manner, and frequently I not only lost sight of him, but barely escaped meeting him face to face so sudden were his turns and so unexpected his reappearances. Why I was following him I could not tell. In fact, I was possessed of but a single impulse, and that was to follow. The old man never halted or hesitated, but finally entered a narrow valley, at the end of which rose a precipitous cliff. At that point he suddenly disappeared. 
when i reached the spot i found that beneath an overhanging rock an excavation had been made at some time in the past as there were no signs of recent work the pit was thickly strewn with fallen leaves and as it was but a few feet in depth i let myself down into it in the hope of discovering some passage by which the old man had disappeared my foot struck something which was evidently metal it proved to be an antiquated shovel with a short handle the night was a bright one and at the time the moonbeams streamed directly into the place i could discover no means of retreat save by the way i had entered and it was impossible for my strange guide to have returned by that route and passed me unnoticed unless he possessed the power of rendering himself invisible to probe the matter to the bottom i commenced digging the ground was exceedingly hard and my progress correspondingly slow i threw out several shovels of earth and then climbed up the bank and examined it i came upon a nugget worth at least five pounds then another and another but all smaller than the first all of my mining instincts were aroused and i forgot the strange circumstances under which i had been led to the mine again i entered the pit and set to work with all my energy and again i was handsomely rewarded the fever of greed seized upon me and i worked as if my life depended on the result the seventh time i began digging but the first thrust of the shovel brought it in contact with some hard substance i stooped down and found that i had uncovered the complete skeleton of a man an indescribable terror seized upon me I had been mining in a grave. I am not superstitious, but for the first I clearly realized the uncanny circumstances which surrounded my discovery. I imagined that I heard vague whisperings in the air, and that a rumbling sound came swelling up the valley. I lost my presence of mind, threw down the shovel, and ran for my life. I would have sworn that a legion of nameless fiends were at my very heels, so insane was my fright. When I emerged from the hills, the moon was shining calmly, and the sense of peace and repose brought me to my senses. I walked rapidly to the farmhouse, which was in sight, crept in, and without undressing, threw myself on the bed. I was soon asleep, nor did I awake until the housewife called me to breakfast. When I discovered that I was dressed, I was amazed. I remembered distinctly going to bed the previous evening but had no recollection of having got up during the night, until by chance I put my hand in my pocket and drew out one of the nuggets. Then it all came back to me with a vividness which was startling in its intensity. There could be no doubt of the mine, for the gold in my pockets was worth fully one hundred and fifty pounds. I resolved that I would keep my discovery a secret and continue to work the mine which had yielded such handsome results in a single night then i repaired to the hills and began my search half an hour convinced me that i retained not the slightest clue as to the location of the mine day after day i continued to search but in vain no trace of the valley could i discover and finally i was compelled to admit that a doubt existed in my mind as to whether the gold had been found by me or had been placed in my pocket by some kind fairy to have found and lost such an exceedingly rich deposit was exasperating in itself but the uncertainty which enshrouded the whole business made me doubt my own sanity 
one evening as i was sitting in the house brooding over the problem the boar's wife opened a great clothes press removed several articles of wearing apparel and laid them on the floor my attention was immediately attracted to an old coat who owns the suit of clothes i inquired they belong to grandfather was the answer is he dead i queried dead more than twenty years in fact before i was married and came to live here for he was my husband's father did you know him yes but i was only a little girl at the time why have the clothes been kept before he died he gave orders that they were not to be used and his wishes have been respected my husband has told me that he was a man of many peculiarities and as it was due to him that we have the farm we cherish his name and respect his wishes what were his peculiarities one was that he paid several visits to the cape and when he returned he always brought with him a bag of money but to the day of his death even his son my husband did not know how he came to have it with this money he bought land and cattle and sheep and thus became rich had he lived he would have been the richest boar in this part of the country then his death was a mystery and a mystery which has never been cleared up he had grown to be old and feeble and he did no more work but nothing could keep him out of the hills if any one followed him he flew into a great passion and cursed him roundly my husband feared that some accident would befall him in his wanderings and the fear was at last realized these clothes were his best and he prized them very much for he said that they had brought him good luck it was for that reason he wanted them kept no doubt one day he went away to the hills and he never came back the whole country joined in the search but no trace was ever found he was not able to walk a long way and could not have wandered any distance and that was what made his disappearance the more strange some were of the opinion that he was carried off by the kaffirs some that he had been murdered for it was well known that he always had gold in his pocket whatever befell him no one knows i took up the coat and hat and could have sworn that the man i had followed to the hills was dressed in precisely the same garments could it be possible that after all these years i had found his grave had it been his ghost which i had seen night after night issuing from the house and making its way to the lonely grave in the hills had his wealth been derived from the sale of the gold which he had dug out of the pit admitting these facts why had i been chosen to solve the mystery was it possible that a sympathy existed between the dead and gone boar miner and the needy prospector myself these questions i was unable to answer my common sense revolted at such conclusions and yet argue as i would the gold was in my pocket to prove their truth there remained another explanation it was that i had not been awake during the periods in which i saw the old man i had developed into a somnambulist and had got up in the night imagining that i was following an old man and while in that state picked up the gold found in my pocket in the morning unfortunately this theory did not account for the previous existence of my ghostly guide i realized the uselessness of attempting to explain to my boar friends the peculiar circumstances of the case and in consequence kept silent from that hour i abandoned my search for a mine which was alike a mine and a grave the location being only known to ghosts 
or somnambulists. End of story three.